Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for allowing us to do something we've never done before. Um, like Brian said, it's a little bit awkward, but uh, it is our best effort to stay connected with you as best as we can. We feel like that's really important. We hope that this brings some kind of normalcy uh, into your home in a time when things don't feel very normal anywhere else. And so we're just going to continue in our study of Thessalonians uh, and pick up where we last left off. I think what you'll find is that uh, Thessalonians as a book, uh, in fact what we will look at in our passage today, uh, speaks very clearly to things that we're experiencing even in our world right now. The Bible is eternally relevant, and so we can look forward to what it has to say. As we get started, let me remind you that Paul is writing to a people that he knew for three weeks, less than a month. Remember, he was in Thessalonica for about three weeks before a Jewish mob was formed that eventually ran him out of town. But as you read this letter, you wouldn't know that from what you uh, read. He speaks with such love and devotion. He begins the letter in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for all, for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. We see that, that same compassion and love even more in chapter 2, verse 8, when he says, Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. So this might have been a brief encounter, but Paul is speaking with a very deep affection. So what that tells us is that when the Lord is at work, great things can happen in just a short period of time. Uh, many of you probably have been to summer camp as an example. And you may meet somebody there for the first time, but during that week, you form a friendship that feels like it's been there forever. That's because a bond that is based in Christ's love is something that is unlike any other connection. You've heard me mention to you before some of the guys that I meet with every year. What's interesting about those relationships is that they were formed at a time where we were doing ministry together, but they overlapped for less than a year. And yet those same friendships, those bonds that were built, uh, will and have continued to last a lifetime. I believe that's what's happening here with Paul and the Thessalonians. God is doing a significant work in a relatively short period of time. The fellowship that we see in this church as we continue through this letter is really remarkable. In fact, my prayer is that what we see in the Thessalonian church might increasingly become true of us here at Melanie Park. May our shared devotion be all the more diligent. May our shared suffering be all the more bearable. May our shared hope be all the more glorious. And let me just say that this is particularly important during times like we're all experiencing right now. And I, I want to be careful here because we need to be prudent and not be reckless. So let me be clear. We need to, to follow the guidance and instruction given to us by our government and city officials. 
But we must not become so isolated to protect ourselves that we lose sight of the shared responsibility to care for one another. Instead of hoarding supplies you might need, check with others to see that they have what they need. While you're stuck at home with nothing to do, pick up the phone. Call a friend. Stay connected with people as best you can. I've already heard of a number of examples from within our church of people doing this very well. One morning we were uh, texted and told to go look out in our driveway and uh, we had a chalk mark on the driveway that said, you've been toilet papered. Uh, And we had stacks of toilet paper that had been left to us by Bruce Shubiak and his family. And I understand he got that idea from the Hodges who were doing the same thing, just randomly delivering toilet paper to homes and people in our church family. Ron Kirkus, I understand, had some access to uh, what are called N95 masks that are really important in protecting from this virus, and he drove into town to deliver those to medical professionals here in town who were working on the front line. I also know that that Chris Sanders had a worship service on Facebook Live uh, last week with no more than 10 of his closest friends and family. But these are the kinds of things that the church should be doing during times like this. As we'll see from our passage, when you come to know Christ, you become a part of a family, a family with deep affection for one another, a bond that It binds us together because of our shared love in Christ. Collectively, we put our hope in Christ and we desire to share that hope with those around us. You see, our God is a very present help in times of of need. Where does our hope come from? The Bible tells us our hope comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That God is the one who says to us, do not fear. For I am with you. Do not anxiously look around you. Do not anxiously read the news. Do not anxiously scroll through the internet. For I am your God. And I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, left to ourselves, those are truths that are easy to forget. But when we stand together, they're a lot easier to remember. So as we go to God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, as we open up your word, we want to open up our hearts and our minds, our lives to you. We want to invite you to speak to us through your word, that you would help us see the things that are important to impact our lives in ways that bring glory and praise to your name. Father, be honored through our time this morning as we spend time in your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to look at second, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 9, if you want to follow along with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
you go back, beginning in uh, that same chapter, uh, 2, verse 1, you'll see that he starts to repeat a very similar phrase six times in these uh, 12 verses. Back in verse 1, he says, for you yourselves know. In verse 2, he says, as you know. And again, in verse 5, he says the same. And then, as we just read in verse 9, he says, for you recall. Verse 10, you are witnesses. Verse 11, just as you know. It seems obvious that Paul is appealing to their personal experience of his time with them, how they witnessed his shepherding care as he describes it both day and night. And that's because when you're a part of a life of ministry, you don't just check in and check out. It's a lifestyle. It's, in a sense, you're on call 24-7, 365. But as Paul goes on to explain, this wasn't a burden that he had to endure. It was a privilege that he embraced. He didn't look at the Thessalonians as a project. They were his people. They were part of his, his family. And so much so that he compares his relationship to them as, as a father to a child. And any loving father wants the highest good for his child. And that's what we see right here with Paul. He said he was devoted and upright and, and blameless toward all the believers. The word devoted here is the idea of pure motives. What Paul is saying is, look, this wasn't about us. We weren't in it for us. This is about you. We're, we're in it for you. They were upright and blameless, full of in, integrity and compassion. Like Paul said earlier in verse 5, he said, we didn't come with flattering speech or a pretext of greed. Instead, they came to proclaim the gospel of God. Now, I want you to notice here, it's not the gospel of Paul. It's not the words of Timothy. It's not the opinion of Silas. They brought a message from our heavenly Father with the tender love of an earthly father. Paul says in verse 11, we exhorted, encouraged, implored each of you as a father would his own children. They came alongside the Thessalonians, walking with them, opening their lives to them. And I think that's the reason they became so close in such a short period of time, is because they were so intentional about those relationships. This wasn't just another social gathering. This was a shared devotion. The goal for Paul and for all the believers was to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think my favorite place where that's kind of defined and described for us is in Paul's letter to the Colossians. In chapter 1, uh, he begins by praying for the Colossians. In, in his letter, he says in verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of of the Lord. And now listen to how this is described. That you might please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what it looks like. 
That's a God-honoring life, and that's the ultimate goal. And I would suggest that it is the undeniable outcome of a shared devotion within a body of believers. Let's look at verse 13. He goes on and says in verse 13, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, for that's, but, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs his work in you who believe. I want you to notice how Paul continues to emphasize all throughout this letter that this is a word of God to man, not man's word about God. He said, you receive from us a word of God's message. See, the true and living God speak a true and living word. The reason Paul knows that this is true for the Thessalonians is because their lives are being transformed. In the beginning of the letter, he talked about their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfast hope. This wasn't just a message proclaimed. This was a power that changed people's lives, even in the midst of their suffering. Look at verse 14. He says, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Paul, back in chapter 1, verse 6, told the Thessalonians that you're imitators of us. And by us, he means Paul himself and, and Timothy and Silas. And he goes on and says, and of the Lord. And now here in verse 14, we see that they are imitators of the church in Judea. So we need to stop and ask ourselves, what do Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and Jesus, and the church of Judea all have in common? Suffering. Suffering because of their faith. That's what they have in common. They are imitating a steadfast faith in the midst of suffering. They stood strong in the opposition of their own people from their government. They were living out of what Paul tells the Corinthians when he uh, writes and says, beginning in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power of God may be known and not from ourselves. It goes on and says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You could see that treasure in the lives of the Thessalonians. Because for the early church, persecution was a part of what it meant to be a Christian. And I think we lose sight of that today because very often the message that we hear in many churches in which we live around is that when you become a Christian, that's when suffering goes away. We talk about health and wealth and Prosperity, not suffering. That's why the Jews rejected Jesus. 
It was because he was a suffering Messiah, not a conquering king. That's why they're hostile to the Christians, because they align their lives with this suffering Messiah that they, in fact, nailed to a cross. See, the Jews were ruled by pride when they did that act, a pride that cannot tolerate suffering. Because pride always says, I deserve better, or this is not fair. It takes humility to persevere through hard times. In the end, salvation is not a rescue from life's difficulties. Salvation is a rescue from sin's judgment. Paul says that the Jews are already beginning to experience that wrath, that judgment of God. We knew that back in Acts chapter 17 when we saw that the Jews were being expelled from Rome. And it won't be too long for all of Rome turns against the Jews and they're all but annihilated. They will see a greater wrath that is just beginning for them. But even that pales in comparison to what is to come. I want you to listen to how Paul describes this in his second letter to the Thessalonians. We'll look at this one over time, but listen as I read chapter 1, verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians. He, he tells them, he says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Those are some strong words of judgment, aren't they? And I want you to keep that in mind as we continue in our passage in verse 17. Because listen to what Paul says there in verse 17. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see you face to face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope, or joy, or crown, or exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You see, that but we statement is very important in our passage. It highlights a contrast to that judgment that I just read about in 2 Thessalonians. Because unlike the wrath that is to come to rebellious unbelievers, there is a hope that is steadfast for those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And this is part of, I believe, what Paul wanted to share with them in person. This is the, the best news that they needed to hear. Despite having been run out of Thessalonica, despite at the threat of his own life, he was doing everything he could to get back to them. But more and more than one occasion, he says, Satan hindered his attempts to return to Thessalonica, which tells us that there was opposition to the gospel message, not just physically, some things we could see, but spiritually, and things we cannot see. But greater is he who is in us 
than he who is in the world, and God made a way. God made a way for this letter that Paul has written to make it into the hands of the Thessalonians, and in fact, God has made a way for that very same letter to be accessible to us today. Satan could not hinder this letter. And Paul reminds them of that shared hope in Christ. Let me read that again in verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I want you to think about what Paul is saying here. He's not just pointing to the joy of Christ's return, as glorious as that might be. Instead, he's highlighting the privilege of being present with the Lord together. His joy is is not just being alone in God's presence, it's being in God's presence together with the family of God. You see, what Paul is saying here is his greatest joy is the fact that he's going to witness their greatest reward, standing together before the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. And there is no greater reward than being present at the return of Christ. Do you see how important the community is to the Christian experience? We've been called to stand together until we stand before Christ at his coming. And at times like this, when we can't be together, we're reminded about how important it really is. The Christian life is not just about individual effort. It's about our shared devotion. That's why the writer of Hebrews admonishes us when he tells us, do not forsake your gathering together, as is the habit of some, but instead consider how to encourage one another towards love and good deeds, and and even more as the day draws near. And let me just remind you again this morning, that day is drawing near. Every day we live is one day closer to Christ's return. You can go back to those qualities that Paul describes in the beginning of his letter, and you can see that shared devotion because they're all plural pronouns. He talks about your work of faith. He talks about your labor of love, your steadfast hope. These are collective attributes of the Thessalonian church. And we should strive for the same in our church as well. For God has gifted each of us individually, but that gift is intended to be used for the common good of everyone else. God created his church with an interdependence upon one another. See, I think this whole virus event is pretty telling because it makes us want to run and hide, (laughs) to, to close up in our homes. And I know there's a part of that that's required of us, so we don't really have a choice. And we need to be prudent. That social distance is an important thing. And all that we're hearing from our city and government officials is necessary to follow. But again, let me remind you, let's not become so isolated in our own personal protection that we lose sight of the shared responsibility to care for one another. Be intentional about staying connected with your brothers and sisters in Christ people within the family of God. And let's not forget that part of the Christian calling is a call to share in our suffering. I know a couple of weeks ago when Brian 
uh, spoke and gave a message, he shared very vulnerably things that the Lord was doing in his life. I was really encouraged by that, in fact, motivated to do the same. And I will be honest, I would much prefer to share this with you person to person, uh, but I feel compelled to bring you into my own place of suffering. And I need you to know right up front that what I'm going to tell you will not make sense to most people who hear it. It really is only something that can be understood when you've experienced it yourself. I've mentioned on more than one occasion my struggle with anxiety and depression. I would say that anxiety is kind of the primary battle. That's the, the daily battle. The depression is what I would consider the fatigue from the fight. And for whatever reason, as I've grown older, that struggle has become more difficult. To the point that in recent years, I've been <clears throat> blindsided by panic attacks. In fact, to be honest with you, that's why Carrie covered for me a few weeks ago. And that's why I took another week off and Brian stepped in to preach in my stead. And this is the part that won't make sense. A panic attack is the darkest reality I've ever known. And they, they come without warning and change in an instant. Everything that is happening to me tells me that I'm going to die. My heart races. I have trouble catching my breath. It feels like someone's sitting on my chest. I begin to shake, sweat. I can vomit. I, I really feel like I'm going to die. There's a point in which it takes over my body, and I can no longer control it. And in that moment when I feel like I, I'm going to die, to be honest with you, death would be a welcome relief. It is a dark, dark night of the soul. But then, once it's done, because that's been so horrific, it's hard not to live in fear of the next one. It's like strapping a, a, a vest of explosives with a timer ticking and just someone telling you, go ahead, just live life normal. It's hard to do. This reality for me is something that uh, has been a part of my family history. And as a result, we've experienced some really tragic occurrences in the past. But I'm thankful because uh, I have amazing support. My wife is incredible. I have a great physician. I have a really good counselor who, who's just helping me learn how to manage this better. And at least for today, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> I feel stable. But this has altered my life. Some of you know Tommy Nelson. He's a pastor at Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas. And he wrote a book called Walking on Water When You Feel Like You're Drowning. And if you read that book and you insert my name, you'll know my story. <laughs> because his experience is almost identical to mine. But I tell you this. Because there's nothing worse than suffering in secret. And I know that there are those in our church family who struggle with things far worse than mine. But we've all got something. We've all got something that we struggle with. And our church has to be a safe place where you can suffer together. And by the way, 
You don't have to understand in order to have compassion. Because here's the reality. Some of us are going to suffer with these things for the rest of our life. And so here's what we need to keep into perspective, okay? This is important. The goal in Christian life is not to live a good life. Let me say that again. The goal of the Christian life is not to live the good life. The goal is to see the good in life, even in difficult times, and never lose hope of something better. Our suffering is a shared experience, but, but it's important, it will not last forever. God promises to give us strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. May we stand together in that shared hope of standing together when Christ returns. So as we finish up, I want to encourage you to consider the questions that we've left for you. You should have these uh, in the information that we sent out to you. I think they're available on the screen. But I want you to take some time, either individually or with, if you're with others, to stop and, and just talk about these as it relates to the passage that we just walked through together. The first question is this. When, when given the opportunity, when this mess is all settled down and we can finally come together again, how will you be more faithful to a shared devotion within your church family? What does that look like? And secondly, if you're suffering, who can you share that with? Shared suffering is a whole lot more bearable than secret suffering. And so I would encourage you during this time to give someone a call. In fact, if you're with a group of people where you're at right now, you just might take some time to share ways in which you're suffering, in which you're struggling, and things that are hard for you. And then just stop and pray for each other in that moment, at that time. And then lastly, speaking of prayer, who do you want to be standing with at the coming of Christ's return? So while you're praying, pray for that person, that they may put their faith and trust in Christ so that they might stand together with you at his return. With that in mind, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to come together in this very unusual way, but I trust that your spirit is at work in whatever ways you intend, no matter how we communicate the truth of your word. I pray that it speaks deeply to each of our hearts, that you use it to transform our lives, and that perhaps in this very unusual situation that we're in, you might have our attention more than normal, and that if that in fact is the case, that this would be a time that when we come out on the other side of this, that we're not the same person. We make commitments, we make devotion, the commitment to devotion, shared suffering, shared hope, just like we see in the Thessalonian church, that, that work of faith, that labor of love, that steadfast hope, may, may that be increasingly true of us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you and have a great day.